just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to another intro to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky. Thank you so much for joining me and I'm sitting here with myself. It is just me at the start of the show, basically dropping in to tell you that this episode is our Krish Mish special. And it was recorded live at the Phoenix in London, our second last show of our UK tour. Man, we had a good, great day that day. Thank you so much for everyone, again, who came to our shows in the UK. And thank you to you for downloading this show in the first place. We're going to get to it in just a second, but first of all, I'm very excited to announce that our Melbourne Comedy Festival podcasts are now on sale. That's right. Next year, in March and April, we are returning to the European Beer Cafe. We've uh, gone upstairs to the slightly bigger room, which is going to be a lot of fun. On Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock, you can come four Saturdays in a row. And those tickets are now on sale, and you can find them at dogoonpod.com or via a link in the show notes listed below. Now, if you book before January 1st, maybe a little Christmas gift to yourself or one of your loved ones, you can use the word Christmas, just the word Christmas. I was going to say Christmas, but it's too hard to spell, so just Christmas. And you can get a discount even on already bargain season pass tickets, and those are limited. So if you want to get involved before January 1st, use the code CHRISTMAS. Also, Matt's stand-up shows are now on sale for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. He's doing three and a half weeks of his show, Bone Dry. And if you haven't seen Matt before, now he's not here, I can tell you that he is a fantastic stand-up comedian. So I definitely suggest you get along if you can. He's also visiting Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane next year for festivals. 
all in the uh, first few months of the year. If you use the uh, code DOGOON, you get a cheeky discount on those tickets. And all the details are at mattstewartcomedy.com slash gigs. Nice. And finally, you might want to check out our spin-off podcast, Book Cheat and Primates. I just released the Book Cheat Christmas special yesterday with Matt and Jess as guests. So basically, it's an episode of Do Go On with me doing a report on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We had a lot of fun. It was very late. We did it after one night. We recorded an episode of Do Go On and wow, Jess was very hyperactive and Matt was overly tired, which meant he was also hyperactive. So it was very loose, but a lot of fun there. Somehow, shortest book we've done and one of our longest episodes for book cheats. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Matt's episode of Primates last week featured comedy legend Tony Martin and podcast Planet Broadcasting legend Josh Earl. And I've got to say, it was one of my favourite episodes of that show so far. But that could be beaten by this week's episode, which Matt tells me features Al and Andy from Two in the Think Tank talking most valuable primate to colon most vertical primate. <laughs> Man, to be in that writer's room, so much genius at work. Okay, that's enough plugs. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a great Christmas or holiday period wherever you are in the world. Usually we ask people to tweet Facebook and Instagram us pictures of what you're eating on Christmas Day, and I'd love to keep that tradition going. We'll post some photos of what we're doing. We'd love to see what you're doing. That is always very, very nice. So, without further ado, enjoy this episode recorded live at the Phoenix in London. Oi, boy, you there, what day is it today? Why, today is November 18th, sir. I, yep, um, sorry. Sorry, uh, we're, we're doing this sort of for the podcast, we're doing like a Christmas thing, it's a bit whimsical and cute, so um, if you could just do that um, better, thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be more specific, alright, let's go again, how about this? Oi, you there, boy, what day does this podcast come out? Why? Today, when the podcast comes out, is either December 12th or 19th, depending on scheduling, or 13th or 20th, depending on time zone. Right. Um, I think we're really just trying to get you to... Sorry, can you... Sorry, okay. So it's a Christmas special, so just fucking say Christmas, okay? Go again. All right. Last one. Let's get this down, all right? You there, boy. What day is it today? Why, sir, today is Christmas Day. Is, is that right, sir? Please don't hurt me, <laughs> sir. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, except for Do Go On. You could probably skip that one. I do not sanction their buffoonery. <laughs> Hello, London. How you doing? Oh, that's, hell yeah. That's nice. Thank you. Oh, oh, all right. You did it for Dave. And then I <laughs> I talked and I bloody the energy. Don't the... you bloody ask for it. Matt, the secret is to ask them how they're doing. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> sup, cunts. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, very close. Very close. 
Uh, welcome to the uh, another episode of the Do Go On podcast. My name is Dave Warnke, and I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah! <laughs> I, there's a baby. There's literally a baby in this room, and I still dropped the C bomb. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Gotta start him the, young. Ma- the majority of work done in editing the weekly podcast is me being edited out saying yeah. Clarence Hunt or yeah. the <laughs> I think I know what that baby's first word's gonna be. Oh <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be Matt. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming out to the Phoenix here. This is a lovely venue and uh, it is our Christmas special. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, you thought the shopping centres were going early this year. No, no. We also have gone pretty early. But by the time this comes out and people here at home, it will be very close to ye old Krishmish. Yeah. What's on the list this year, Jess? Anything uh, you'd like Santa Claus to bring you? A tricycle. Okay. Um, a pony. And my dad to come back. <laughs> I'll nah, be able good to, riddance. Yeah, I'll be able to, I'll be able to organise two of those. I'm afraid the tricycle shop is uh, completely sold out, so... But Dad's coming home. (laughs) Your dad is at home right now. (laughs) I like to give the illusion that I come from a broken home and I have a dark past, but I'm fine. (laughs) Because there's nothing funnier than a broken home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everyone's fine. I had a good education and um, the middle class upbringing. So. Not great for comedy, to be honest. (laughs) Love the affluent East. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, how, how about you? How are any Christmas? You're a big Christmas... So we call my, me the festive boy on the show. That's one of my nicknames, if you don't know. But um, Matt is actually the festive man, really. You're a big, big Christmas guy, and it pisses you off that you're not the <laughs> Christmas guy on the show. I should be the Christmas guy, because I am the Christmas guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Christmas for me isn't about what you get. It's about what you give. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what are you planning to give this Christmas? <laughs> Yeah, a bit of that, a bit of this, bit of that. <laughs> bit of this, bit of that. Yeah. Gross. You guys are wearing matching shoes. And you and I are wearing matching shoes. All right, everyone show me your shoes. <laughs> so this is the show. Um, <laughs> this is good sh- fun. Shoe time with the Get Boys. That's right. Uh, now, there's always a few people that have never heard the show, but first of all, we start with, uh, give me a round of applause if you have heard Do Go On before. <laughs> God. Very nice, thank you so much. That now, is a relief. On the other end of the scale, please do not be shy. If you've never heard the show before, please cheer now. A few as well. <laughs> and our tech. Dave, our sound. <laughs> Dave, you said you listened to a bit on the way here. Yeah. You were lying. He's lying. He's being polite. Thank you. Thank you. Do you say that to bands too? Yeah, I love your uh, songs. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> is that what you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you for those of you coming along, probably being dragged along by a friend. Um, some of this won't make sense, um, but just, you know, have a good time, I guess. I'll explain those bits. Yeah. <laughs> who, who's the closest to me who doesn't know? Who's never been? A couple over here. <laughs> all right, you, I'll, I'll address all of that weird stuff to you. <laughs> What's your name? Jordash. Jordash, all right. That is a great name. That is a beautiful name. <laughs> I think, is it? Did you say Jordash? Yeah. I love it so much. <laughs> Jordash. <laughs> that is a beautiful, awesome. beautiful name. Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> Great Jordash. to have you here, Jordash. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate that. Yeah. 
Uh, now, so the people that haven't heard the show, like yourself, Jordas, what happens is uh, usually each episode one of us does a report on a topic suggested by a listener. The other two people on the program don't know... Program! <laughs> oh, hello, BBC. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. On this week's program. This is Radio 4. Yeah. Huh? That means something here, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway. Local reference. Tick. How good is Posh Spice? <laughs> <laughs> you do, do, do a reference, Bob. Do a reference. Yeah. Um, the Queen is a thing. <laughs> That's a big one. That's a good one. Thank you. Nigel Mansell. <laughs> 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 it's the first one that came to mind. Right. Um, also, Magical Mrs. Marple. Yes. Markle. What's her name? <laughs> the one who married the prince. Markle. Markle. What a beautiful name. Matt, your name's not Jordash Markle, is it? <laughs> oh, man. Imagine. Do you, and, would any you questions so far? Changing your name. Oh, yeah, you should change. Anyway, we'll. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do the show and then we'll chat about your name later. Anyway, the program. That's where we were. Yes. Uh, the other two don't, want, don't know what the topic is going to be, but for our Christmas special. We've decided to do a mini report on a Christmas topic each. And Matt, what is our overall Christmas theme this year? Well, it's the same as last year. It's the sequel. And everyone knows the sequel's always better than the original. Uh, <laughs> Christmas Time Mysteries. Yeah. Oh. It was an audible yes. Yeah, did he say yes? Which is nice. Were you, were you saying yes? Yes. yes. You want, you some, want death. some death? <laughs> That's not related to the podcast at all. She's just a psycho. Um, mole people. Oh, gone early, yeah, but yeah, yeah probably. probably. Yeah. probably. <laughs> Always. Uh, I'll find a way. Do you mind if I kick off with a little mystery? There is death in mind, so... Because Matt, last year, if you haven't heard our Christmas special, <laughs> did five topics. Uh, three of them were very death-filled. Yeah. Which, which I'm sh- is fun, sure. Um, but in a room of people who kind of look around at one another going, oh, that could have been us, uh, it's less fun. So good luck, Maddie. Yeah, we found that out all over again in Manchester uh, when we talked about serial killers. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. very tense in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was our bad. <laughs> no refunds. <laughs> Lock the door! (laughs) When you're finding yourself saying into a microphone, any family members of the victims in tonight? (laughs) Uh, yeah, you... Why did you... Don't say it again, Jesus! (laughs) That wasn't good. Whoa. Because we did focus on ones from the UK, (laughs) and mine was very recent, so... It it was a very real possibility. That episode will not see the light of that. (laughs) No. So, <laughs> 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 maybe the patrons will hear it. All right. Uh, here is my question. So we ask a question, Jordash, to get on the topic, and my question is: Which of the five classic senses was terrorised in a mysterious fashion <laughs> in the English town of Warminster in the 1960s? Uh, well, let's. A good year, thank you. But it was a, it decade. was a decade. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> Ten I mean, good years. <laughs> Adapt the catchphrase, mate. <laughs> okay, so let's a go s- senses. Sense. So we got smell. Balance. 
Okay, we've got balance. <laughs> Touch. Taste. <laughs> Vision. That's five. Oh. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> hearing is one, thank you. So we're already up to six. Is it any oh, of these? Yes, yeah, hearing. That guy got oh, it. Oh, nice. Hearing. Yet okay. again, the crowd nails it. Sucked in, Dave. Fuck. You're the worst nerd. <laughs> you got all the shit things about being a nerd. What? <laughs> I, I'd love for you to list some of the good things about being a nerd. Yeah, go on. It's funny because we've been, for two and a half weeks, we've been sharing so much space. So, you know, we're getting pretty brutal with each other. <laughs> yeah. I, be, I should not be bringing that into the public forum. Um, so sorry about that, Dave. Obviously, you're the best of the best. Love you. All right. Here That's is not what he's been saying back at the accommodation. <laughs> kill yourself. Kill yourself. <laughs> Has come up a lot. I have not been saying that. Um <laughs> <laughs> so I was hearing, and uh, so, what, so it was a weird question. I did write that in that small room over there. Um, but I was hearing, and the hearing was terrorised by a mysterious thing called the Warminster Thing. Oh! Which is the topic that I'm going to talk about. Anyone heard of the Warminster Thing? No. Uh, really? <laughs> Supposedly it's the biggest thing, thing like this in UK history. You guys get educated. <laughs> um, am I saying Warminster right? Sick. All right, let's go. Warminster is a town in Western Wiltshire, around. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the worst thing you've ever done on this podcast. Shame him. Shame him. Wilt. Is it just because I said it funny? It's my accent. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Wiltshire. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, I was wrong. They've got all the worst things of being a nerd. <laughs> 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 it's around two hours southwest of London. Events that occurred in Warminster. Fuck, I'm going to be nervous about it. Over 50, 50 years ago, boggle the mind till this very day. It boggles the mind. <laughs> I just said that because I knew Jess would really like it. <laughs> that is one of, one of the many classic catchphrases. The mind! It boggles! <laughs> Still one of Dave's best lines. You, you may well ask, you want to ask, um, <laughs> so, you want to ask, boy, on what day did the events occur? Boy, on what day did the events occur? Oh, that was beautiful. Very good question. Very good mic technique too, very good. Great projection. Why, they occurred on Christmas Day. Oh. 1964. Oh, thank you. That's great. Obviously, two years later, the Saints <laughs> won their premiership. Saint, sorry, Jordash. The Saints are uh, kind of the best and the shittest team of all time. It's a real dichotomy. But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um... Loud noises were heard in the town. Some townspeople were awoken from their sleep. The noise... <laughs> was that one of the loud noises that was heard? Is the concept of sleep funny? <laughs> <laughs> that guy uh, has insomnia. Oh. 
some townspeople were woken from their sleep. Oh, just a, it's kind of a one-time yeah, thing, I guess. Had to be there. The noises were described variously as pounding vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is about giving. Uh, all the way down to ear-splitting whines. It's more your, your end of the spectrum. I think it sound a little something <laughs> like this. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, that's wow. it. Pretty accurate. Uh, I've, one I've lo- whined before. <laughs> one local woman even reported being knocked down and left paralysed by invisible fingers of sound. <laughs> oh, n- keep your fingers to yourself. <laughs> In his book, The Warminster Mystery, local journalist Arthur Shuttlewood described the events thusly. Any Shuttlewoods in tonight? That's a good name. You saying that right? It's shitty (laughs) foot. The air was brazenly filled with a menacing sound. He he wrote real good. Sudden vibrations came overhead, chilling in intensity. They tore the quiet atmosphere to raucous rags and descended upon her savagely. Shockwaves pounded her head, neck, and shoulders. Ooh, pervy shockwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Similar sonic attacks were reported around other locations in the town as well. At 1.25am, Mildred Head reported that her... <laughs> <laughs> what, what did Mildred Head report? <laughs> she reported the ceiling came alive with strange sounds lashing her roof. As if twigs were brushing the tiles. <laughs> she had a tree above yeah. there. Uh, it ended up with a noise like giant hailstones. And I believe that there weren't any hailstones that night, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> At 6.12, Marjorie By reported the sonic deluge broke with, with full fury. There were weird crackling noises, menacing sound, sound vibrations, shockwaves of violent force. They're sort of just bit, bits and pieces of the quote, I guess. <laughs> Fill in the... <laughs> as no one had seen it, they weren't sure how to describe it. As such, the phenomenon... <laughs> I mean, it, every describing word ever was used in that one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> as such, the phenomenon was dubbed as the Warminster thing. This is mysterious. What is it? I would have called it the fingers. <laughs> Ooh. These early reports seem to open the floodgates of hearings and sightings as lovers of the paranormal flock to the town. By the middle of 1965, sightings of unidentified flying objects were being reported around the town. It was variously described as an orb, a cigar-shaped or dome-shaped with colours of red and orange and bright like the stars. Okay. (laughs) Cars would temporarily break down when the thing was around. And it even reportedly killed. Oh! <laughs> That's good because this is like a big pantomime country. So, yeah. Yeah. who's behind you? Sort of stuff. <laughs> That's like something. What is? Oh, now I don't actually understand either what you said or what yeah. you're referring to. But what's the other catchphrase people yell at pantomimes? Oh no, it isn't. Oh, right. 
I they mean, really do. They're quite brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite amazing that your country is also the home of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> it's behind you! <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I'm on a really rocky chair. Check this out. Oh. It's like a bucking bronco. <laughs> Do you have a watermelon? <laughs> I really hope someone's brought a Christmas pudding today. <laughs> Somehow they knew. <laughs> I told a couple of people. Putting people. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we're up to the killing bit. You guys. Yay! In February of 1965, after speaking with witnesses, including David Holton, it was reported that a flock of pigeons was killed in flight <laughs> <laughs> when when tangling with the thing. They brushed into fatal contact with paralyzing sound beams in woods in Crockerton near Warminster. Stiff-winged, they plummeted earthward. The thing, in its most stunning guise, was directly responsible. A number of people testified to hearing high-pitched droning. What's that sound like? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm not the man of a thousand noises. Just a thousand watts. Isn't droning low? Yeah. What's high-pitched droning? I guess droning's like, mmm, and then... uh, So it'd be like this. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's my best guess. I haven't practiced that one, and um, I should remind everyone I'm self-taught. So, uh, in March, resident Joan Brown reported that the thing made their roof quiver under the onrush of noise. Her pet cat was sick in various rooms in the house. <laughs> The thing. <laughs> <laughs> this has all been re- like this has all been collated by experts in the field. Oh, it's so fun. People going, so you, yep, cat had a vomit. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So Writing and when and when you say experts in the field, you were ufologists. Yeah, like Stanton Friedman. <laughs> Don't remember him? Nah. <laughs> Come on, he was in the Roswell conspiracy, like the Roswell expert, and his name is Stanton Friedman, and he looks exactly as you're imagining right now. <laughs> and he also sounds like all your other characters. Yeah. <laughs> no, that Hello, was I'm Stanton Friedman. <laughs> no, that was the sheriff, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, you fucking idiot. Come on. Uh, in his job at the local Got paper, you. Shuttlewood was collating a sizable dossier on the thing. Talking to everyone who reported seeing or hearing it. But as he was yet to see it for himself, he was sceptical about whether it actually existed or not. I mean, but that cat vomited in several (laughs) rooms. That all changed in September of 1965 when Shuttlewood himself reported seeing a UFO from him home. From him home. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, sounds like he's been affected by this UFO. (laughs) That night he was converted into a true believer. Yeah, so you're not going to correct what you said. You're just going to move forward. That is bold. Good for you. I'm not editing this. Great. Uh, But whoever does, could you put me saying his into where I said him? I thank you. (laughs) Shogunot. Yeah, Dickster. So so you now want the sentence, instead of saying come him home, to be come his home. (laughs) 
No worries. I think Jess and I will be able to edit that in. No worries. <laughs> oh, man, how'd you go? Yeah, came came a home. <laughs> <laughs> you may be shocked to hear that there... There aren't many photos of the thing. Warminster local Gordon Faulkner saw it on the 29th of August in 1965 and described trying to capture it on camera, saying, As it flew fast and low over the south of the town, I could just make out the unusual shape. It was, it, it made no noise, which is weird. That's a, <laughs> that's a big twist, actually. Uh, made no noise. Hurriedly, I got my camera free and pointed at the craft. But the line of sight was too fast to follow. So I held the camera well in front of it and pressed the trigger as it entered the viewfinder. I did not dream I would get anything on film at all. And this is what he got. I mean, Can you describe that? Um, it looks a bit like a pod with... <laughs> I mean, to me, that looks like... An alien space cr- yeah, spacecraft. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Okay, well, to or each a hat. It kind of looks like a hat. It looks like an upside-down mushroom. Oh, you or know just that? a mushroom. That's right. <laughs> it looks the, like a mushroom. This became the most iconic image of the thing and was published by... <laughs> no wonder you've never heard of it. <laughs> published by both the Warminster... By both the Warminster Journal and the Daily Mirror. He wrote in a little bracket, get Dave or Jess to describe this. <laughs> and then I pointed at it and he deleted it. <laughs> As if that would make me forget it. <laughs> oh, can't read what's not there, dickhead! Can't believe you found a loophole, but... And don't worry, man. I think we did you proud by describing it. By saying, oh, it looks like a... Pod. Pod. <laughs> Lips. Oh. Oh. (laughs) You sexy thing. Uh, The photo gained the small town a lot of publicity and attracted thousands of paranormal lovers to see. see. (laughs) It's funny, I have not read this yet. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's only one thing that turns me on. It's UFOs, baby. Uh, so they came to town. Well, they wanted to see the thing for themselves. The town was a bit flustered by it all, and a town meeting was called on August the 27th, 1965, at 7.30 p.m. UFO researcher Lionel Beer was there, and he wrote a report about the meeting, meeting soon after, <laughs> saying that upwards of 300 persons crowded into the hall, and several hundred more thronged the stairs and corridor and overflowed into the street outside. The town was freaked out. They were freaking. They were freaking Wow. Out. All these people came to hear the public discussion on the mysterious lights and sound, which have been reported from the Warminster district in recent months. I didn't need to say that bit. (laughs) Attending the meeting, a Mrs Atwell told of how she had been very frightened by a strange and eerie sound accompanied by the apparition of a brilliant star. I love the idea of this meeting and just a line of people getting up and saying, yep, I saw a thing in the sky and it was real scary. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It was also reported that eight children had been scared by the thing at various times. (laughs) (laughs) But but their parents requested their names should not be published, so they weren't. I mean, I was scared of sand when I was a baby. (laughs) Sand. At the beach. (laughs) I live in Australia. (laughs) It's all beach. (laughs) So what do you do? Just get the sand in you, just... (laughs) 
The sand is lava. You would have uh, hated that episode of The Simpsons where Homer got sand in his underpants. <laughs> Someone was disappointed the other night we didn't do a Simpsons reference, so I shoehorned that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> and what a quality reference that Seamless, was. Seamless, yeah. Marge, I've got sand in my underpants. <laughs> Me too, Homer. Let's go home. All right. That's good stuff. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Lionel Beer concluded his report saying that the meeting ended about 10 p.m. and it ended inconclusively. They didn't ha- the meeting didn't come up with the answers. Can you believe that? What a waste of a meeting. <laughs> what with all those people telling them that their kid was scared. Yeah. Still? Still nothing. Nothing. Sightings continued over the following years, but started dying down by the 1970s. This is partly to do with the fact that less people were visiting the town to look for the thing, but also due to it probably not existing. Ah. <laughs> I only see slight correlation between those two. Uh, there are still... No, that's not true. I, I, I want to believe. I'm so shattered. It's really near Bath where we were a couple of days ago and we didn't fucking go because I had not chosen this topic yet. <laughs> uh, there are still true believers in the town though and sightings do still happen, only less frequently. The town seems to be starting to embrace its place in paranormal history as well with semi-regular events celebrating the thing including a recent 50-year anniversary event at, uh, and ball at the town hall. And a mural being pa- painted in the centre of the town, which has a uh, glow-in-the-dark paint on it. Oh. The article's so cute. The mayor and everyone's talking about it, I think. So good. And you we didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's going to be one of my life's great regrets. Uh, it seems like the true nature of the Warminster thing is going to remain a mystery. Uh, I really do hope that the mystery is one day solved, though, as... Uh, the thing needs to be brought to justice. It does have pigeon blood on its hands. <laughs> <laughs> that is my report. I'd, uh, I'd love to hear what your theories are. Anyone got a theory? Mole Has, people. Had anyone heard of it before? No. I mean, some of those weird blogs that I read really made it seem like this was a big deal here. <laughs> <laughs> I was led astray. Anyway, I think, yeah, probably probably real. And uh, probably... is any Look... I mean, I've you've turned like it to a Q&A and yeah. we've got no cues. I, um, it's the government. It is. The, well, there is, a, there is also a thought that I didn't talk about that the government have covered it up. There was a, recently ex- a recent explanation from the MOD, which I don't know what it is, but it's a British thing. And that, Yeah, right. Well, they're, they're, they, <laughs> said, they said it was something to do with plasma. With giant otters. I mean, these are all good answers. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, ufologists are like, nah, it's not plasma. No, that's dumb. <laughs> Plasma's so dumb. It's clearly giant otters. Yeah. Anyway, good on us all. <laughs> all right. Matt Stewart News Report. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. What a time to be alive. And now it's my turn. To be alive. <laughs> yeah, my turn to be alive. Um, I am also going to kick it off with a question, which I wrote just before we started. Well, bloody done. Better than I normally do. Yeah. And my is question is, what beverage was the cause of riots in 1826? Tea. Tea. That is so eggnog. English. Eggnog. That's a Christmas thing in America. Anyone ever heard, heard of eggnog? Do you I heard about it here? <laughs> Thank fuck. It's Why? What is it? It's just like egg. 
and gross. and no and nog. I think the nog. Thank you. I'll feel this one. I think. <laughs> I think. I think the nog is just like brandy or something. Yeah. You're nogging on some brandy, <laughs> big time. Having a nog. Any further questions? Thank you. But yeah, th- I saw that. Um, I first heard of eggnog on The Simpsons, and it went a little something like this. Oh, I'm drinking some eggnog on the. S- All right, I'm gonna go. <laughs> gonna maybe just. Oh. <laughs> I I have not had a drink in six months. So, anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this report. So, egg, uh, so Matt seems less surprised by this than I was. Eggnog. Eggnog. It's the eggnog riots. It was mainly because it was a Christmas-related topic. Oh, right, right. So you came across this one? No. <laughs> Just use the old... Oh, eggnog! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> use the old eggnoggin, mate, and figure I... it out for myself. To me, I, I feel like I was the only one in this room that was like, oh, it's an eggnog riot. Everyone, you were like, yeah, of course. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm the only one that was questioning that. Yeah. Well, I can probably tell you a bit more about it if you want. No, I'd rather not know. <laughs> you know, live... All right, cover your ears. Live in a world of mystery. So this occurred in the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York in 1826. A good year. Well, yeah, mm, It's fine, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Nine years earlier, in 1917, a good year, the Academy... 1817? Yeah, probably. (laughs) An even better year. Definitely did write 1917, though. But that's impossible. It's the millennial bug. Yeah, no, 1817. The Academy was taken over by Sylvanus Thayer. He took command at uh, at the military academy. He was a brigadier general. Yes. Brigadier. Jordash, we love the brigadiers. (laughs) At some sort of a rank in some sort of an army. And we cannot get enough. It's a fun word to say. Have a go yourself. (laughs) Jordash uh, did not make it through the first report. Okay, on three. Everybody say brigadier. One, two, three. Brigadier. Oh, it's so satisfying. Uh, Such a fun word. Brigadier. So he was a brigadier general. Uh, He was brought in because he was a hard ass and the academy really needed some work. They were known to be pretty shit. Um, (laughs) He revolutionised the academy with his strict rules. Students at West Point weren't allowed to leave campus, cook in their dorms or duel. (laughs) Weird that that rule had to apply. But before then, duelling was very common. Yeah, they were just like, I challenge you to a duel all the time. And he was like, stop duelling. We're running out of students. <laughs> I, I call it bedazzling. <laughs> but it was a different time. We didn't know any better back then. It's the 1820s. Um, his, uh, <laughs> his discipline... Style succeeded in turning the academy from a chaotic institution to a respected place of learning. Um, before he arrived, the academy was a few shoddy buildings and four teachers teaching a handful of students, and students were admitted at different times of the year, so there's no real structure. It's a bit of a mess. Um, by the time uh, this event happened in 1826, the academy had 36 men serving as faculty um, and four recognised departments. They had mathematics, engineering, rat- natural philosophy, natural philosophy, that's fun, and military tactics. So he turned it into like a proper school. <laughs> hmm, interesting. The place I should go. Um, 
Now, eggnog, which is what we're talking about, is a, was a traditional part of West Point's annual Christmas celebration, but Thayer's ban on alcohol threw a wretch into the festivities. Uh, obviously, as expected when you put a bunch of young people together, some of the cadets said about smuggling in alcohol. <laughs> One of the cadets was a man named Jefferson Davis... He had a history of bad behaviour with alcohol. Uh, he was the first student to be arrested for going to Benny Haven, which was one of two taverns located near the academy. <laughs> he got arrested for going. Um, and the ban on alcohol didn't, didn't just uh, didn't stop at the academy. Wow. <laughs> so there was a couple of taverns around who were also not supposed to um, serve alcohol to the cadets. But Benny Haven's... Cadets could barter blankets and shoes for booze. <laughs> Though, they put in some rules and they weren't allowed barter anything from school like uniforms. <laughs> they, I mean, they had principles, you know? They're like, sure, I'll take your shoes. So it's just a, a dorm full of people with no blankets and no shoes. Yeah, but they're having a good time. Uh, another time, this is, this is the guy, uh, Jefferson Davis, another time he was reportedly so drunk that he fell down a 60-foot ravine. Oh! <laughs> We've all been there. Don't worry, guys. His shoes will break his fall. <laughs> he wasn't one to shy away from a good party and he was very enthusiastic and on board when the other cadets planned uh, to bring booze to the holiday party. So he survived the 60-foot fall. Yeah. Sick. 60 feet is a long way to fall. In a ravine. It's ten me's. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt, stand up so everyone can imagine that. Now. To scale. There's ten of those. Times up by ten. Whoa. Yeah. yeah now yeah. you get it. We yeah. should use imperial Matt measurements more often. Because <laughs> it's not like you guys deal with feet all the time. Yeah. Ten mats. Um... So they, they decided they were going to get booze for their holiday party, but Benny Havens was too expensive for the, for the cadets to get all of their liquor. <laughs> too many blankets. <laughs> it's, yeah, they, they just didn't have enough shoes. Instead, a few days before Christmas, three cadets crossed the Hudson River to the East Bank to procure whiskey from another tavern called Martin's Tavern, not very creatively named. They had a few glasses there themselves, obviously, and then they took the contraband booze back across the river to the academy. At the dock, they came across a soldier standing guard, but they paid the man 35 cents for him to turn his back while they unloaded their cargo. 35 cents. That's probably a lot back then, but now it sounds... It's a different time. It's 1800s. That's probably a lot. Um, The cadets hid the containers of alcohol amongst their private possessions, um, and they hid them until Christmas night. Uh, It was about a total of three or four gallons of whiskey. So it's a fair bit of booze. They, uh, the Thayer, the, the brigadier, he was very strict but he wasn't an idiot and he knew, he, he, was, he anticipated that this would probably happen over the festive season and he even discussed it with his colleagues uh, and he assigned two people, Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock and Lieutenant William A. Thornton to monitor the North Barracks on Christmas night. Now, after monitoring the barracks, they both went to bed around midnight, separate beds. Um, huh. It's a different time. And everything <laughs> everything was quiet. Nothing was out of the ordinary. It all seemed like everything was fine. But four hours later, Hitchcock awoke to the sound of rowdy boys a few floors above him. He went to investigate, and crashing the party, he found six or seven cadets visibly inebriated. <laughs> He ordered them to go back to their own rooms and he turned to leave. 
And as he was heading out, he heard the sound of another party happening in an adjoining bedroom. (laughs) When he entered, he found another two drunk cadets attempting to hide under a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. A third cadet who's also drunk refused to show his face using a hat as a makeshift mask. <laughs> <laughs> These... I mean, these people with military tactics, their main tactic seems to be, if I can't see you, you can't see me. That's always a good tactic. In warfare, they just pull their hat over their face. And the enemy's <laughs> like, where'd they go? Yeah. Where'd they go? You can't shoot what you can't see. <laughs> that's probably... No, that's not true at all. <laughs> so Hitchcock's demanding that this, uh, this student hiding behind a hat... Reveals his identity and he refuses to... Well, it was clearly working. (laughs) Who's that? Not saying! (laughs) Um, A few angry words were exchanged uh, and some of the other cadets nearby got enraged and after Hitchcock left they shouted, Get your dirks and bayonets and pistols if you have them. Before this night is over, Hitchcock will be dead! (laughs) Bit violent. Did you enjoy that? You love death. It was a was threat it? of death. Yeah. Oh, you're I disappointed. Mean, yeah. <laughs> Could be something. Yeah. She is also wearing a scarf in what is the hottest room in London, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's badass. What's it is nice that they've put on the hiding? Christmassy Australian yeah. heat for today. It's just like home. <laughs> um, soon enough, Hitchcock heard a commotion coming from floors below. Seemingly larger and rowdier than the party he'd just broken up upstairs. As he walked into the room, so did a drunken Jefferson Davis, who burst into the room along with Hitchcock and announced, Put away the grog, boys! Captain Hitchcock's coming! (laughs) He was already in the room. (laughs) Davis is a bit of an idiot. Uh, the The other guy who was sort of patrolling and trying to keep some kind of order, Thornton, uh, in his own attempt to break up gatherings, he had a cadet threaten him with a sword. And another cadet actually hit Thornton with a piece of wood, knocking him down. <laughs> Things weren't going much better for Hitchcock. He attempted to break down a barricaded door. A cadet pulled a pistol out, attempting to shoot him. And at this point, Hitchcock thought he probably needed some backup. 
Um, he found a colleague and told him to bring the comm here. And by the comm, he meant commander of cadets. But rumours quickly spread through the barracks that Hitchcock was summoning uh, the regular artillery men who were also at West Point, who the cadets all hated. So somehow they've confused those two. Now they've decided that that's happening. (laughs) So they hated the artillerymen. They viewed Hitchcock's summoning of them as an affront to their integrity. So in the North Barracks, they began taking up arms in an attempt to defend the building from the artillerymen who weren't coming. (laughs) They're ready for war. I like So they took it as an affront to their integrity, these drunk... Yes. Soldiers. Yeah. We're very integrity. <laughs> and they're, they're ready for a fight. So violence within the barracks escalated as cadets smashed crockery and windows and broke furniture. Oh, that's how you defend a building, classically. Yeah. You smash all the crockery. Oh, I'm going to break all your plates. That's what they're doing at Greek weddings. They're just trying to defend <laughs> the building. That's beautiful. Is that a thing that happens? Yeah. You guys don't have Greek weddings here? You're much closer to Greece than we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the artil- Whoppa! Ah, <laughs> uh, Jordash, that's a Greek phrase. <laughs> Meaning, all right, let's party. <laughs> and you're all caught up. Um, the artillerymen, of course, never arrived. They never were coming. Um, <laughs> and slowly but surely, the drunken mob began to sober up. Eventually, uh, the commander of cadets, William Worth, arrived on scene and his authority was enough to put the eggnog riot to rest for good. (laughs) Oh, no, Dad's here. (laughs) Out of around 260 cadets, as many as 90 could have been charged for the night's events. However, the academy was still trying to recover its reputation and didn't want to be seen as a place of anarchy and mayhem. (laughs) So Thayer chose to deal with only the most aggressive offenders, expelling 19 cadets... Jefferson Davis managed to escape the evening unscathed due to the fact that when Hitchcock told him to go to his room, he actually did. (laughs) (laughs) like, nah, he's a good boy. (laughs) But obviously, uh, the mystery remains. Why the fuck would anyone drink eggnog? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wow. What a Christmas mystery. Yeah. It's haunted my family for years. Wow. And we'll never, ever get an answer to that question. <laughs> well, Jess, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave. And now it's time for another report. <laughs> uh, this time it is from me, and I've got a question to get us on the topic. This is our final Christmas mystery. My question is... <clears throat> are you getting the guns out there? No. Smash the crockery! Defend the stage! Okay, my question is... For you guys. What film do I watch with my dad every single Christmas? The answer is Die Hard! And my topic, and my mission, which I chose to accept, is to solve the Christmas mystery. Is Die Hard a Christmas film? Or is it just a Christmas... Or is it just a film set at a Christmas party? Is or it is a Christmas it film or is it a Christmas film? <laughs> Listen up and we'll find out. Uh, this topic's been suggested by a couple of people. Henry from New Zealand and Libby from Melbourne, who I doubt are here tonight. That would be cool, though. No? No. You look wow. like a Libby. 
What's your name? Laura. Laura is so close to Libby. <laughs> All right, let's try it one more time. What's your name? Oh, no, I guess. I guess first. <laughs> I nearly said you'd say your name and I'd say, oh, that's what I was thinking. Sarah. No? I mean, there's so many names. I know, but that's, that's how good I am. Well, obviously Sarah, not. what is your real name? Alice. Alice. Quite different. <laughs> Arguably, I quite am, different. I'm gifted. <laughs> but that's just not my gift. I'm still looking for my gift, but I'll find it. All right, so uh, as we all know, today is a, sp- a very special day for the film Die Hard. It is 30 years since the film debuted in Norway today. <laughs> 30 years. I think God, the time flies. At one of our London shows, we were definitely having some Norwegians in. Are you in today? No. All right. <laughs> that would have been way more exciting. Uh, so ba- what I'm going to do here is I'll give you a background to the film Die Hard, in case you haven't seen it. Uh, and then I'll give some points for and against as to whether it is a Christmas film. And I'll get both you, Jess and Matt, and the audience to decide once and for all if they think it is a Christmas film. Great. Uh, there will be a few spoilers in this report, so so sorry if you haven't seen the film from 1988. <laughs> Very sorry. Yeah. Uh, give me a round of applause if you have seen Die Hard. <laughs> Laura hasn't. Uh, Libby, and she's got it. Libby and Sarah haven't seen it. Cannot believe it. A <laughs> uh, round of applause if you haven't seen Die Hard. Okay, great. Do yourselves a favour. No need. Dave's going to oh. tell them everything. I'll give you the gist. You'll gonna, love it. Are you going to act it out? Yeah. Are you going to do accents? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I will... <laughs> I'll get to the German at the end of this report. Uh, I will give you... So this is the background. The story of Die Hard is based on the book Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Oh, what a great name. Uh, but the character... Uh, in the book is called Joe Leland and they changed that to John McLean. Mm. Mm. That was a good call. It's a much better name. Uh, if you don't know the film, this is the, the summary without too many spoilers, but there will be a few later on. Uh, in the film, New York cop John McLean, aka Bruce Willis, is travelling to LA to visit his estranged wife and their kids. He goes to his wife's Christmas party at the Nakatomi skyscraper and whilst there, Hans Gruber, bad guy played by Alan Rickman, <laughs> takes over the building in order to rob the building's vault. Now it's up to John McClane to save the day. Ting- oh, I'm tingling, I'm tingling. Get that checked. <laughs> yeah, it's not in a good place either. Uh, the book, Nothing Lasts Forever, serves as a sequel. That's uh, a sequel to The Detective, which was made into a movie in 1968 starring Frank Sinatra. Oh. Uh, his original deal said if they made the sequel, the role would have to be first offered to him. So at age 73, he was offered the role, <laughs> but he declined. Oh, that would have been a great film. Instead of the, <laughs> the great film that it is. It would have been, wow, a 73-year-old man running around in <laughs> feet and glass. I would have loved it. There's a lot of glass if you haven't seen it, a lot of glass. One of the main characters is basically the glass. Anyway, before, before Die Hard was made, Clint Eastwood owned the rights to Nothing Lasts Forever at the time. Uh, Eastwood had considered himself for the role in the early 1980s. But for whatever reason, nothing came of it. So then eventually it was put into production. Uh, Die Hard was directed by John McTiernan, who the year before had directed the Arnie film Predator, and who has since gone on, gone on to go to jail for wiretapping a colleague's phone and lying to the FBI about it. <laughs> there you go. What a guy. 
Uh, the cinematographer, Jan de Bont. Ah. Yeah. Who was mentioned in Matt's Birmingham report and who later directed Speed and Twister and famously Speed 2. <laughs> His <laughs> best word. Oh. Jan de Bont. Jan de Bont. God, that is a good name. Love that name. In the... In, in the anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm just gonna, <laughs> just gonna, he was scalped in that report. Anyway, that's weird <laughs> out of context. Um, good guy and uh, good filmmaker. I'm going to drop the mic back down. <laughs> well... Uh, being a pretty unknown actor at the time, mostly known for his role in the comedy drama TV series Moonlighting, Bruce Willis was not the first choice for the role of John McClane in this action film. The role was rumoured to have been passed on by <coughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Burt Reynolds, Richard Gere, Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson and Richard Dean Anderson <laughs> before Willis got the call. <laughs> And although he was about the 39th choice, when he finally got the role, he was paid a handsome five million dollar dues. Ooh. Five million. That's about a billion pounds. Yeah. Carry the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my conversion's pretty good. Uh, the film was Alan Rickman, who was the bad guy, his f- uh, film debut. And what a role. A stage actor at the... <laughs> I talk well. Stage and what a role. Stage actor at the time, the casting director just happened to see him playing Velmont, uh, who's a, like a bad guy in a stage production of Dangerous Liaison, and offered him the part. Uh, he initially wanted to turn it down as he didn't want to be in an action film. Yeah, nah, fair enough. <laughs> it's not a porno. <laughs> just do it. Action films. They're the cool ones. Are they the cool ones? They are the cool ones. Yeah, they're the cool ones. Porn is also very cool. <laughs> I'm sure there's a diehard porn parody. It's just, it's called. Yeah, you can't yeah. top that. I mean, I was going to say dick out, to be honest. But well, closer. There is a baby here. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah. First yeah. words. Will his first phrase be dick hard? Aww. Well, the sequel, Dick Hard 2. This time it's personal. <laughs> Now, Digard <laughs> 2, back in the habit, in brackets, this time it's personal. In brackets again, Judgment Day. Why don't you go with the actual sequel to Die Hard with a vengeance? Dick Hard with a vengeance. That's funny. Now that's funny. That's funny. Funny's funny, Dave. Uh, now, you'll be surprised to know if you haven't seen the film. This action film features quite a lot of gunfire. What? I know, oh wow. <laughs> that was the biggest spoiler. You thought it was a lot of hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> oh, the director, John McTiernan, wanted the guns to look real, so insisted on using extra loud blanks. This caused Bruce Willis permanent hearing loss. <laughs> but Bruce wasn't the only one who had trouble with the loud gunfire. Alan Rickman couldn't stop flinching when he shot his pistol. <laughs> Something that doesn't look so good when you're supposed to be the ultra-tough bad guy who doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Honestly, he goes... Oh, oh. I don't like it. Oh. So director John McTiernan was forced to quickly cut away from Hans Gruber's face almost every time he fired a gun. <laughs> or when a gun was fired near him because of his constant wincing. <laughs> He's the English actor in the film, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the best villains of all time. We did a report on him. Do you remember that, Dave? I loved it. You repeated quite a few of the facts already. 
As, as if you were saying them for the first time. I think I am saying them for the first time. <laughs> I just have, may have heard you say them. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's enough fun facts about Alan Rickman. Uh, the, crew, the crew had to ap- constantly apologise to people working below them in the building for gunfire because the building they filmed in, which is actually the headquarters for Fox, was still being used uh, and, uh, as, as an actual office. <laughs> John McTiernan, the director, would have to send someone down to explain the loud noises. Quote, we'd have to periodically run downstairs and apologise to the lawyer beneath us saying, we're about to fire machine guns. Will you excuse us? (laughs) So uh, that's a bit of fun there. The film was a big hit and grossed over $140 million off a $28 million budget, so it was uh, very well received. It was nominated for four Academy Awards. It was often listed as one of the greatest action films of all time and has since spawned four sequels that have grossed over $1.4 billion. But is it a Christmas film? Yes. 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 Well, let's answer this once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you evidence for and against, and you tell me what you think at the end. And when we all disagree and hate each other, I'll give you some more diehard fun facts. <laughs> and then we'll right. have a bit of fun. Oh, good. Okay, so this is the reasons why it is a Christmas film. The film is set on Christmas Eve at a Christmas party. Without Christmas, this film does not exist. I honestly think I could just stop there. <laughs> but I will go on. Why is Bruce Willis there? To visit his wife. What is his wife's name? Holly. <laughs> Compelling arguments huh? early. Huh? Bruce Willis murders a man. <laughs> and if that's not the Christmas spirit, I don't know what is. But then he puts the man's body on a chair, makes him don a Christmas hat and writes, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun on him. That would be weird if it wasn't Christmas time. (laughs) Right? Where would he get a Christmas hat otherwise? You can only get them at at Christmas time. Or six months before when they start selling them. So this film is set in a small six-month window of the year. (laughs) Another gun and Christmas mashup scene, Bruce tapes a gun to his back. What does he tape it with? Yep, you guessed it, Christmas tape. That, what does that mean? It's tape that has a Christmas pattern on it. Uh. It's Christmas tape. <laughs> that makes sense. Are the film closest with a Christmas song? Let it snow plays as it snows. Something that very rarely happens in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, the soundtrack also features the Christmas songs, uh, the Christmas song Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. That's two Christmas songs. Yeah. Speaking of Christmas songs, Alan Rickman's name is very similar to is uh, Hans Gruber, which is very similar to Franz Gruber, who composed the song Silent Night. A Christmas song. Hmm? Hmm? The film is very different to the book, but one of the main things that they kept in was the Christmas party setting. Christmas is clearly integral to this story. Hans Gruber is basically the Grinch. I read that on Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> Even they were clutching at straws. <laughs> uh, I uh, downloaded the script to Die Hard and I read it through. And this is the opening part of the script. This is the opening uh, description. <clears throat> the opening word is Christmas. Christmas tinsel on the light poles. We are looking east past Inglewood into the orange grid of LA. Christmas tinsel! Yep. In fact, these... Uh, so, in the, f- uh, the script, it features the word Christmas 18 times. 
That doesn't sound like that much. Well, the, some other Christmas classics that I downloaded the scripts of. Yeah, I was a bit bored last night. This is how many... T- uh, in, the, in the film The Holiday, which many... No one would deny that's a Christmas film. 23 times. Right. So not many more. Home Alone, 25 times. And It's a Wonderful Life, 36. So It's a Wonderful Life is often pointed to as the best Christmas film ever. So it's half as Christmassy as that. So it's half as Christmassy as the best Christmas film ever. <laughs> Need I go on? I mean, you will anyway. I will. Uh, Die Hard was also voted as the best Christmas film ever by Empire and Forbes magazines. So that's, that's the reasons for it. Here sure. are some reasons why it may not be a Christmas film. I'm very impressionable, by the way, so I'm probably going to go with whatever you say last. Oh. <laughs> so okay. you probably should have done these the other way around. Oh, no. I'll win you back. All right. Uh, last Christmas, public opinion and data company YouGov here in the UK polled over 5,000 adults. With they the polled quest- them. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is about giving. Oh, <laughs> uh, they asked them, did, any- did anyone here get polled by MyGov? <laughs> 5,000 were asked, do you think Die Hard is a Christmas film? And just 30% voted yes. 30%. said no, 18% they don't know. (laughs) Which I love. You get that, like, why are you asking me this question? It's more like, I don't care. Who cares? Well, this follows a poll in America in 2015. 62% of voters said they do not think Die Hard qualifies as a Christmas movie. Clearly, a lot of people do not think it is. I also said the film closes with a Christmas song. Or so I thought! (laughs) Let It Snow is played on radio stations during the Christmas season is often covered by various artists on Christmas-themed albums. But it actually makes no mention of Christmas. It's more of a a song about snow. (laughs) Try and deny that this film is about snow. (laughs) Try. I I wouldn't dream of it. Thank you. Uh, The National Catholic website, who may have a slight bone to pick (laughs) with, with Die Hard being a Christmas film... They write that just because it's set at a Christmas party doesn't mean it's a Christmas film. Quote, Harrison Ford escapes from the law by joining a St. Patrick's Day parade in The Fugitive. Does that make it a St. Patrick's Day movie? Nah, don't think so. <laughs> Matt, as our residence lapsed Catholic on the, sh- on the show, what do you think about that argument? Um, yeah, they make a good point. And uh, so eloquently said. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> No, don't no, I think, think so. so. What were you What were you talking about? <laughs> Where did you go? I, I just zoned a little bit out towards the end of that, but it did seem like a good point <laughs> about St Patrick's Day. Yeah, we changed topics. In a way. Yeah. Look, I'm nearly there. Then you get to vote. Bruce Willis uh, himself briefly weighed in on the question earlier in the year at his celebrity roast in July. He announced that. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is a a point that few are brave enough to argue with. It is technically a Bruce Willis movie. That is a great line. That's funny, Bob. Funny's funny, mate. Yep. No, you're right. Uh, Many of the haters who say that this is not a Christmas movie put that as a definitive answer. But it should be pointed out that in 2017, Stephen D'Souza, the co-writer of the film's screenplay... And one of its creative forces announced that he thinks it is indeed a Christmas movie. 
He pointed to the many Christmas references in the film, and last year he was even linked on his Twitter to a Christmas picture book for children based on the film Die Hard. Oh, that is good. I mean, he may have just been trying to sell a few units, but he definitely said it is a Christmas movie. I like that. So those are the points. That was the last one. You heard the last one saying yep. it is a Christmas movie. Remember that. Right, okay, sure. Uh, give me a round of applause. Oh, actually, first of all, Jess and Matt, do you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Yeah, I always thought it was. I mean, it's all the Christmas stuff makes it feel that. It's hard to even argue against it. I don't understand what you're talking about when you're saying anyone thinks it isn't a Christmas movie. Do I have to quote, quote from the uh, Catholic <laughs> website again? Please don't. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you could because I missed it the first time. But <laughs> So that's a yes from Matt, Jess? Uh, absolutely not. It's not a Christmas film. I just wanted to be the point of contention. Thanks. Yeah. For a bit of drama, you Thanks. know. Yeah. I can't nah, believe you think that. I absolutely not. You guys not. never agree. You frog. No, I'll take you. Uh. It's not Christmas. It's a Bruce Willis fucking film. <laughs> I don't care. Why can't it be both? All right, uh, give me a round of applause if you agree with Jess and you think Die Hard is not a Christmas film. A smattering. People. My favourite type of applause. Is it is it mainly because you haven't seen the film? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> didn't feel Christmassy to you. That's fair. I mean, the constant, constant Christmas references didn't... I mean, what do you want? <laughs> you want reindeer. All right. I reckon there, was, there were toy reindeers in there somewhere, probably. There's a Christmas tree, pretty sure. There is a Christmas tree. He didn't have a present at one point? I mean, fucking grow up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, other end of the scale. A round of applause if you think Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas film. Wow. Mystery solved. Uh, but I did promise you some uh, fun facts about this Christmas Are film. You, you haven't done, like... Someone did it before, but you're not going to mention his, the catchphrase? Uh, it's one of my fun facts. Great, all right, all right. Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> you're ruining everything. Uh, one of uh, Bruce Willis's most famous lines in the films is, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. He doesn't say it like that, though. <laughs> yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Very good, Dave. Uh, the line has been used Dave by... Dave studied drama. I think they can tell. <laughs> uh, the line has been used by John McClane in all five Die Hard films. Oh, you're overdoing it by in like a, three, I reckon. In parts of Pakistan and India, it takes on a different meaning because in Urdu, that phrase means, here, eat this. <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoy. That's fun. That's fun. Uh, in, 20, in 2013, Bruce Willis admitted that Yippie Kaye motherfucker was really just a joke. He said this to Ryan Seacrest. It was just a throwaway. I was just trying to crack up the crew and I never thought it was going to be allowed to stay in the film. That is classic Bruce Willis. Cl classic Bruce He's Willis film. He's so funny. <laughs> he, is pretty, he is pretty funny. Yeah, I know. I said that. Oh. <laughs> uh, Die Hard has several alternative <laughs> titles in different countries. In Greece, it was called... Very hard to die. <laughs> in Norway, it was called Action Skyscraper. In Russia, it was called Hard Nut. Getting up to get that removed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Hungary probably has my favourite translation, though, where Die Hard was known as Give Your Life Expensive. Uh, the sequel is Your Life That's Is true. More Expensive. And, of course, the third film was called The Life Is Always Expensive. Those are all very beautifully true. I love that. Uh, a lot of the script and storyline changed as they were filming it. It was very haphazard in the making of it. In, uh, if the creative team liked a character's performance, uh, they let the actor stay alive in the film longer. <laughs> D'Souza, the screenwriter, recalls, we've got to kill somebody every 10 or 15 minutes, but let's kill this guy instead of that guy. <laughs> Imagine being told, sorry, mate, you're going to die. He's really good. Wow. And finally, my favourite fact on the IMDb trivia section for Die Hard, which only 13 out of 112 IMDb users marked as they found this interesting, <laughs> is when John McClane is pulling the glass shards out of his feet, he says he would rather be in Philadelphia. Bruce Willis later starred in Unbreakable, which was set and filmed in Philadelphia. <laughs> That's the most boring fact. <laughs> but that is Die Hard, a Christmas film! <laughs> Monarchy, everybody. Well done. And now we have, now we have the definitive answer. The definitive answer. You heard it here, and uh, I do look forward to watching it this Christmas Day with my dad every year. We watch it, and That's it nice. is. It's a lot of fun. Anyone who hasn't seen it, you're welcome to come over. <laughs> What's the address? Uh, actually, no. I was going to say it, but then uh, this will be released uh, with people hearing it at home. So no. <laughs> I was like, you'll never make it down uh, there. I tried to trap him. I tried to let you guys go to Dave's parents' house, but um, yeah. it didn't work, and I'm sorry. So close. So that's, that's, that's it. That's it! <laughs> Merry Christmas. Nailed it. Merry Christmas. Uh, thank you so much for having us here in London at the Phoenix. Give it up for the venue. What a fantastic place. Awesome. We've got to thank uh, Dave on sound over there. Did a great job. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Our, uh, our tour organiser and manager, Mark Chatterley, is here. Thank you so much, Mark. He's somewhere there. We would not be here without him, so thank you so much. It was so you're happy enough with the death count today. I'm so sorry that more pigeons didn't yeah. die, but oh, I can confirm that 12 terrorists die in Die Hard. And also that that snooty businessman who's maybe the best bad guy character in any. Oh, film Alice! Ever. Alice, so funny. And also oh, it's Bobby. <laughs> Apparently that line was improvised, and Alan Rickman's response to that was genuine. Like, what the fuck is he saying? Oh, <laughs> Bobby. Also, my report was set in the 1800s, so they're all dead now. Yeah. <laughs> There's also that great... You didn't mention the great fact about Alan Rickman that when he fell to his death... In I movie, had that written down, but I thought you probably said it earlier. He fell to his death, but he didn't... They... He's a bad guy. Of course he dies. When the, the director said, we'll drop you on the count of three, and he had this, you know, like, what is it? About ten, ten of me dropped to, um, <laughs> to a mat on the floor. Oh, that's weird. And anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> And the the direct the director goes right. I'm gonna we're gonna release you on the count of three. And he goes one, two, and they dropped him. Uh. So his his face is actually shitting himself for real <laughs> on the way down. Great fact. That is a great fact. Yeah, well done, Matt. Uh, 
Uh, but that does bring us to the end of the episode. And all we have to say is Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And to all a good night. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much, everybody. Later. There it is. And you're back with Dave in his dining room as the sun sets over the place that I live. Nearly said the suburb, but uh, won't be doing that. Okay, (laughs) thank you so much for listening to that episode. It was fun for me to listen back to all the great times we had. Still can't, honestly, sometimes I I have flashbacks to us being in the UK and I think, did we do that? Did that happen? It was coming for so long. And before that, it was dreamt up for so long, and then it's now it's happened. It was and it was so much fun. It was like wow, and uh, we've had a few American listeners being like, "Hey, you fit the Patreon goal that says you're going to come over and visit us." So we are definitely starting to get the well, very very small steps to get the ball rolling. But hopefully, 2019 is the year of the American do go on tour. All right, this is the uh, part of the show where I like to. Shout out to the people that support us on Patreon. And you can go to patreon.com slash pod if you'd like to support the show. That is the, probably the reason we're going to co- go to the USA next year. would not be possible without our supporters at Patreon. And uh, in exchange for your support, you get some little rewards from Matt, Jess and I, including bonus episodes. We do two every single month that only the Patreon feed get to uh, devour. And also things like shout outs. I put the, for example, the Melbourne Comedy Festival tickets went on sale. When we do the American tour, eventually, the tickets will be on sale, first of all, to the the patrons there. And when we did the UK tour, basically, a lot of the tickets were sold. We sold out so quickly because the Patreon people jumped on them so quickly. So if you want to be the first to know about stuff, Patreon is the place to be. And I'd like to thank a few people by name that support the show, one of the rewards. And I've got six lovely names sitting in front of me. Each more... No... Each as beautiful as the last. That's right. You're all on an even playing field here. Oh, and usually we have a game. And Jess usually comes up with a game of how I thank the people. But because this is the Chris Mish episode, and it's just me here, what I thought I would do is I jumped onto the old Google machine and I asked if there was any... Um, I, well, I asked. <laughs> I asked for permission if I could find a Christmas message, like a random Christmas message generator. <laughs> and these are the Christmas messages that that generator that I found gave. Some of them, fantastic. Some of them don't make that much sense. But here we go. I would like to thank, first of all, from Canberra in Australia, which is, for the overseas people, you want to, I imagine this comes up in quizzes overseas, the capital of Australia is, of course, the Australian capital territory, Canberra. And I would like to thank, from that beautiful place, Kalinda Chatterton. Kalinda Chatterton. Thank you so much, Kalinda Chatterton, thank you so much for supporting the show. And this is the random Christmas message that Google wants you to know. There are three stages of man. He believes in Santa Claus. He does not believe in Santa Claus. Then he is Santa Claus. Mm. Deep. And true for me too, because uh, my first uni job when I was just 19 was dressing up as characters at birthday and Christmas parties and when it came around to Christmas time despite the fact that I at the time weighed 52 kilos and uh, was 19 years old and looked about 12 I donned a Santa outfit and uh, I got beaten up 
more than once, on two occasions, I got beaten up dressed as Santa. Another time, I don't think I've talked about this before, the final ever gig I did, and that's when I decided I am leaving this industry, this business, was uh, I got booked at the last minute to do a Christmas party as Santa, and they only had the extra, extra large outfit and left over. And as you can probably tell from that description that I just gave you, being 19 and 52 kilos, I was probably the other end of the scale, extra, extra small. So I put it on, went to this cricket club, there was no one there. There was about two kids. It was very, very strange. And uh, my pants fell down because uh, they were just so big. Luckily, the person booking the gig was looking the other way when this happened. But otherwise, I w- could have been in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Not a good look for Panda to l- Santa to lose his pants. Panda. <laughs> God, I'm good. But thank you, Kalinda Chatterton. You are an amazing human being for supporting the show. On to another amazing human being that I've met many, many times at our live shows. I reckon that the name I'm about to read probably holds the record for the most live shows attended by anyone. We had a few people come to four UK tour shows, but this person has been to multiple Melbourne shows. Uh, We've seen him in Brisbane. We've seen him in Sydney. He gets around. He's a mover and a shaker and a fantastic photographer. If you can find him on Instagram from Northcote, it is Mr. Philip Kitt. Phil Kitt. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for your support in the real world by coming to all those shows and also online through Patreon. And this message for you, Phil. Teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. What about female angels? Hmm? What do they get their wings? What do they, chop liver? Love that every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. If that was true, I would be ringing the bell all the time. Help an angel out. Suddenly the angels have... 30 pairs of wings and they're all these freak angels and they're freaking around and they they all fly in different directions it's not very good but that is our christmas message for you phil hope you hope you get something out of that bit of wisdom i would like to thank now from heber city in utah utah meatball give me two point break have you seen that seen that film all the characters utah Anyway, Alex Sperry is the name I'd like to thank. Alex Sperry. Thank you so much. It sounds a lot like Alex Perry, which is a uh, some sort of fashion guy in Australia who always wears glasses, his sunglasses on top of his head. Alex Perry. And for some reason in my mind, he always says, I'm Alex Perry. I don't know if that's true. But he's a bald man with sunglasses basically super glued to his head. And he looks like a legend. Do I mean that? Probably not. But Alex Perry, I would like to thank you by giving you this Word of advice. There seems a magic in the very name of Christmas. Is that true? Are they thinking of Chris magic? I think they're thinking of Chris magic, which is a very magical word. But Merry Chris magic to you, Alex Berry, and thanks for the support. Over the months, the weeks, the years, the decades, I imagine you continue to support this show long after it's finished. But you will be there supporting every week. Thank you. I would like to thank now from Nambour in Queensland... Carrie Belfour. Ah, Carrie Belfour. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Great to have you on board. And remember, that's actually how this quote starts. Remember, this December, love weighs more than gold. Which, scientifically, I don't think is actually true. But the sentiment is very nice all the same. Love weighs more than gold. Don't forget that. Carrie Belfour from Nambour. And I would like to thank now from... Also in Nambour in Queensland, and this is not a coincidence, you're both listed at the same address, so I imagine you do know each other, possibly listen to the show together, but imagine if you didn't. You signed up at a similar time to support the Patreon. This is your dirty little secret, and really, you both like the show. So I'd like to thank, from Nambour in Queensland, Rowan Belfour. 
Same last name and everything, Belfort. Rowan Belfort. I'm not sure if you're a couple, brother and sister, father and son. No, no, mother and son. Sorry, Carrie. That was my bad. Uh, but Rowan, thank you so much for supporting the show along with Carrie and your your Christmas message just as deep, possibly a little bit deeper. Just when you thought it couldn't get any deeper, lift up the rug, some stairs into a basement of deep. And my quote for you is, the excellence of a gift lies in its appropriateness rather than in its value. Hmm? One of those things that I think sounds smarter than it probably really is. But the excellence of a gift lies in its appropriateness rather than its value. I imagine what they're trying to say there is don't buy some $140,000 sex toy. Because yes, people will be impressed that you had that much money. But also, it's not appropriate for Christmas. Don't buy a sex toy for Christmas, Rowan. Grow up, as Matt would say. But thank you so much for your support. Carrie and Rowan Belfour. Much appreciated. And finally, I would like to thank... All the way from Gainesville in Virginia. Love it when uh, Virginian comes up on the, on the show. All those sort of northeastern states. We don't have as many supporters but uh, from there, but always always a pleasure. And this supporter is called Avelino Perry. My goodness. Avelino Perry. Thank you so much for your support, Avelino. And my final quote for Christmas for you is, There are no strangers on Christmas Eve. What does that mean? If you go out on Christmas Eve, you know everyone? Evelina? Hey, you have my permission to go out and partay this Christmas Eve. Because there are no strangers. There you go. Not sure what that means. There's something for everyone there, I think. A little bit of wisdom. A little bit of bells. A little bit of whistles. A little bit of love weighing more than gold. But thank you so much. I'm rambling now, to be honest. But thank you to everyone that supports the show at Patreon. We do appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts. Remember, love weighs more than gold, but gold is accepted at more banks around the world. So go to patreon.com slash dogoonpod, and all the links to everything that for ways to get in contact are on our website, dogoonpod.com, including tickets to those uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival shows I talked about way back at the start of the episode, and all the other stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, we're all on it, at dogoonpod or slash dogoonpod for all those things, dogoonpod at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line. Want to send us a Krishmish message? We have sent out our Chris Krishmish cards to our Patreon supporters, so fingers crossed, before Christmas, they will be hitting your post boxes around the world. My goodness, there were hundreds this year that we sent out to, I think every continent except Antarctica has a Christmas card on its way. Man, that would be so cool. If anyone knows anyone that lives or works in Antarctica, if we could somehow get someone on board, liking the show enough, even if they don't support the show, we could just send them a Krishmish card and say, we're sending one to every single continent. That would be, that'd be amazing. Let us know if you know someone who works in Antarctica. There, I know there are scientists down there, but also people that help operate the bases and the airports. So there is, there's a chance that you know someone. So get in contact. But that is the end of our Krishmish special. I hope you have a safe and wonderful Krishmish and New Year's period. We will be back next week with a, another episode been crafting up a report all week so hopefully it will be a good one that'll be the last episode for 2018 and we're not taking a break we're going straight through into january so hopefully hopefully give you something to listen to over the i was going to say summer period but for many people it's not summer at all hopefully keeping you warm in the northern hemisphere but thanks again for listening and until next week i will say a goodbye
This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Hm. Instacart for the win.